I'd like to read again to you from Mark chapter 15, the verses we want to focus upon this evening. Mark 15, verses 16 through 20. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him, and when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Let's ask for God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you have preserved it throughout the ages. We thank you that your spirit is still pleased to minister to your people through it. And now we pray you'd bless, Lord, our meditation upon it. May your word be spoken clearly and truly. Would you give to us the faith to cry amen in our hearts, to believe and to live by this. And we pray, Lord, if any are listening tonight who have not put their faith in the saving death of the Lord Jesus, we pray that even this evening, you, Father, might be pleased to move such a heart to the only Savior, the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we are prone to think more about our own sufferings than upon Jesus' suffering. Isn't that the case, that we more easily think about our own pains, our own miseries, our own difficulties than we do about what Christ suffered? And one reason is obviously because we are by nature selfish and we're prone to think about ourselves. Another reason is that perhaps we, we feel those pains, of course, physically much more than we do Christ. We, we don't share the same body with Jesus, and he's no longer suffering in the body. But maybe also we think more about our own sufferings and less about Christ because it's difficult, isn't it, to, to read a passage like we've read tonight and to ponder upon the horrendous sufferings of our Lord Jesus. But I think it's encouraging tonight to remember that every word written in the gospel accounts is good news. And all of the awful things we read about in Mark chapter 15 are the details of the good news. And as we focus on Mark 15, 16 through 20, and we see this, this horrendous mockery of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should know tonight that what's being revealed for us is the gospel. Now, it's ugly. It's grotesque brutality. It's shameful ridicule. If, if the things done here in the praetorium by the Roman guard were done to any human, we would say it's appalling. But as we think about the fact that, that what's done here, this brutal mockery and humiliation was, was done to the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, we are lost in amazement, aren't we, that, that he would suffer it all. This is some of the most disgraceful, the most disgraceful acts in human history, to have done these things to the eternal Son of God. 
And as we read this, we, we ask ourselves, why, why does the Lord subject himself to this? Why does he endure this? Why does he bear this? And the answer of Scripture, of course, is because he's, he's doing it for our sakes, to rescue us. And so we must understand then that all of those details in verses 16 through 20 are things that were required for us to be saved. We must believe that, that the insults we read of here tonight were not added for no reason. The Father doesn't just heap upon Jesus all kinds of auxiliary sufferings that were really not so necessary for us to be saved in Christ tonight. No, God would not expose his son to anything he didn't have to go through. But as we see what's done to Christ here, this bitter ridicule, we know that we deserve that. In fact, John Calvin in his commentary on the passage makes this striking comment. He says, our, our filthiness deserves that God should hold it in abhorrence and that all the angels should spit upon us. But Christ, in order to present us pure and unspotted in his presence, resolved to be spat upon and to be dishonored by every kind of reproach. You believe that tonight, that we deserve to be shamed and humiliated and exposed. Our sin deserved eternal and everlasting contempt and shame. But instead, we inherit everlasting glory. Because this. Because Christ sat there and he bore it in our place. This is the love of Christ that, as Paul says, surpasses knowledge. This is what John says, that having loved his own, he loved them to the end, to the uttermost the lord of glory the king of kings bears this bitter mockery this ugly shame so that we could inherit glory with him forever let's look at that tonight look at the shame that's heaped upon jesus we read in verse 15 that Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd he released barabbas to them but then he delivered jesus after he had him scourged delivered him up to be crucified and so the crowd has made their choice, haven't they? They prefer a murderer and a rebel, one who perhaps promises them deliverance from Roman oppression. They prefer that over a Savior who appears to them weak and lowly and proclaims to them deliverance from sin. Instead, they want him to be crucified, crucified. By the time we then come to the Roman guards here, Jesus has already been deeply shamed, hasn't he? He has been humiliated. He has been rejected by the religious leaders and they have shamed him deeply. And he's been rejected by his own people who actually cried out for his crucifixion. And he's been shamed by Pilate who has not given him his rights under the law, but is throwing him to the mob. And Pilate's had him scourged already. Remember that, that Roman whip of nine strands with bits of bone and metal and lead worked in there to be laid upon the back and to tear it to shreds. Jesus Christ has endured all of that already. Yet the scriptures don't focus on the physical suffering, do they? they they're always moving on to, to tell us about the depths of what Christ bears, the wrath of God. But here in these verses, Mark gives us a few verses here that show us what goes on among the soldiers in the praetorium, or the, the garrison where the soldiers were. And we know at times soldiers get bored and they, they look for a diversion. And here they have an opportunity, they think, to make sport of Jesus. 
And as you read through Mark's gospel, the, the suffering of Christ just increases and increases and increases. And this is another step forward, isn't it, in the suffering of Jesus, who's been condemned, who's been rejected by the church, by religious authorities, by Roman authorities, but now by the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers. We have not just the church now, but the world. Rome is the power, the empire of the world, and now Christ is mocked on the stage of the world. Here in the military compound, which would have been the the headquarters, the governor's headquarters, but apparently also the the garrison for the soldiers. Here the, the men think that they will have some fun. They call together, we read, they call together, verse 16, the whole garrison. The word Mark uses will refer to a group that may well have been 600 men. So it's not just, you know, the execution squad of four men gathered here. We're gathering here all the men who perhaps are off duty, all the men, hundreds of them, to come and to have fun. We, we don't know how many there were, but it's a big group. And, and they're called together not for the usual movie night or card game or whatever soldiers did in those days. They're called together because they have this live entertainment. They're going to have a sport with Jesus. Hurry up. Let's get going here. They come together to mock Jesus' kingship. Remember the religious leaders had mocked his prophetic office, right? Slapped him and said, who, who hit you? Prophesy. But now the, the, the guards here want to mock his kingship, and it seems to them such an obvious thing to ridicule. They, they see this man who's bloodied and beaten, and he's declared that he's the king. What a ridiculous claim, they think. He's, he's as good as dead already. He's been, he's been condemned to execution on a cross. His life is worthless. And so they gather around to make fun, play a game with him. Proceeds in a few stages. First, they have the mock coronation ceremony, as it were. They're going to dress them all up. We're familiar with presidential inaugurations and the pomp and ceremony of that. But, of course, that didn't compare to a coronation of a king. And here Jesus gets a kind of coronation under the Roman soldier's hands, right? They put on him a kind of purple robe. They, they strip him naked of his clothes, and they, they put on him the color of royalty. Matthew's account suggests what they used for a robe might have been a military cloak. Perhaps they got an old smelly Roman coat and threw it on Jesus. The smellier, the better. The more faded, the better. He's such a, a pathetic pretender after all. And then they need a crown as well. So they send someone off to to weave a crown of thorns. that They might put that on his head. And so they do when it's finished. And then Matthew tells us it wasn't enough. They needed a scepter for Jesus. A king needs a scepter. So they put a reed in Jesus' right hand. Maybe something like a broken broom handle. It's quite a parody that they're performing here and it must have pleased them so much it's it's turning out maybe so much better than they even thought because a, a phony king deserves a, a phony costume doesn't he a, a phony a pretend robe a, a pretend crown a pretend scepter a powerless king needs a broken scepter and after they get him all dressed up he's coronated as king as it were then they proceed to pay him homage in verse 18, they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And now each man there can, can play in the fun, right? Can join 
the situation here. Verse 19, falling down on their, on their knees, bowing down, they worship him. And so they go through this whole charade. This whole charade of the Lord Jesus as king. And you can just imagine the roar of laughter as soldier after soldier takes a turn. As the army comedians think of even funnier and funnier ways to, to show Jesus honor. And surely one of the funniest in their eyes must have been what verse 19 speaks of. They struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. Can you imagine it? Perhaps they, they walked up to Jesus pretending to give him the, the honor of a kiss and instead they, they spit in his face. And perhaps they took that phony scepter from Jesus and hit him on the head with his own scepter. What could, be, what could be funnier? What could be funnier than to mock his kingship than a king being hit with his own scepter? It was hilarious in their eyes how much fun it was. And in their minds, of course, Jesus deserves all of this. He deserves, he has it all coming. Anybody that would claim to be king in his position has all that coming. He's beaten, bloodied, broken, and bound, and he claims to be a king. And after they've had all their fun, maybe they've laughed their guts out, can't think of anything else to do, or maybe somebody says, it's time now for the crucifixion. Then at last, they pull the purple off him, strip him naked again, put his own clothes on him, and lead him out to crucify him. What's it all mean? What's all this about? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you meditate on this grotesque scene? Is it anger that they would do this to your Lord? Is it sorrow for Jesus? Is it compassion for the one who suffered all this? Are you disgusted? Many feelings may come to our hearts and minds when we think about the sufferings of Jesus, but one thing we always have to ask ourselves is this question, do I see the glory, do I see the majesty of Jesus Christ? You know, too many times our, our feelings rise no higher than just emotions. And sometimes it's suggested that, 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 that the real response of faith is to feel sorry for Jesus and have compassion for Jesus. And if you have those poignant feelings, then that's what Christ is after. But the gospel accounts never try to tell us that feeling sorry for Jesus is the goal. That was the goal. They could have taken a lot more time to detail the horrific graphic details of the physical suffering and violence of dying on a cross. You see, Jesus suffers all these things, but he doesn't suffer them to gain our sympathy, but to win our salvation. Jesus suffers not as a helpless victim, as the one who can't do anything about this, as the, the one whom we should feel sorry for and wish we could rescue. Nothing happens here by chance. Nothing happens here that, that wasn't expected. Nothing happens here that wasn't in God's will. Nothing happens here that is without reason. There is not a, a detail of suffering that is senseless or without meaning. What happens to Jesus here happens according to the sovereign will of God and for a purpose. And the one who suffers here suffers it all on purpose. 
chooses every second to remain in submission to the sufferings. Do you see the glory of Christ here? Do you see the glory of his humility that he stoops so low? The creator of heaven and earth stoops so low to bear this? Do you see the the glory of his patience? That ridicule after ridicule and slap after slap and spit after spit, he, he sticks with it. You see the glory of his love. He so loves his father. He so loves his church that he bears this. You see the glory of his faith. That despite the fact that they're telling him that he's a worthless man, his claims of kingship are utterly absurd, he believes that this is the office God has given him and that God will raise him from the dead and seat him on the throne. The son believes his father. And so what we see is that Jesus Christ, even in these terrible hours of agony and this deep humiliation, even in the midst of all this darkness, Christ reigns. In the midst of what is so brutal and cruel and ugly, Christ does reign even now. And he reigns in his majestic silence. Isn't it amazing? As Isaiah says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. They dress him up and he is silent. They mock him and he's silent. They beat him and he is silent. This is the Christ who spoke the world into existence. The very Christ who could summon the angelic host of angels, the army above, whose very appearance would cause the Romans to scatter. And he says not a word. Not because he's weak, but because he's strong. In fact, it's remarkable that the things that happen here are the very things Jesus already predicted back in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, when Jesus, on the way, told his disciples, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they, Gentiles... Romans will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Christ suffers, but not as a helpless victim. He suffers, but not in vain. There is nothing that Christ will not bear for us. He knew it all before he ever went to Jerusalem. In fact, in Isaiah 50, Jesus says, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks, to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 50, verse 6. Is that remarkable? Predicted hundreds of years before this, the Christ knowing full well before he even came to earth that, that this was his calling as the servant of God to be obedient to his commission and not to hide his face from spitting and from shame. Natural reflex is to turn from shame, to turn from spitting, and Christ would bear it for us. Yes, this means so much for Christ and his obedience to his calling, but he does it for us, doesn't he, for our salvation. As Jesus is bearing all the shame that we deserve here, we 
can recognize, can't we, that that what he endures here is what we deserve. As proud as we can be at times, we don't we all know something of being ashamed of our sin? There are things in our life that that were they exposed tonight and paraded on the stage that we would we'd be embarrassed about. Aren't there there are things we've thought or said or done that we say to ourselves, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. I can't believe I did that. I'm, I'm ashamed. Ashamed. We deserve disgrace. You know, sometimes little girls like to dress up like princesses, put on pretty dresses and Sometimes little boys like to play like knights with swords and shields. And there's a a good reason for that, right? We were made at the beginning of time to be God's rulers upon the earth, to be princes and princesses and to rule in the name of the Lord, to be kings and queens over creation. But we are the failed kings and queens. We did not fulfill our assignment. We did wickedly. What's a shame king look like? I was thinking this week about those images of Saddam Hussein, president of Iraq, when he's pulled out of a hole. Remember that? Or being tried and condemned for war crimes or for crimes against humanity and hanging from an end of a rope. Do our kids want to play like failed kings and queens, like the one who's exposed for being the criminal that he or she is and placed in a dungeon or having the head chopped off? But you see, that's what we are by nature. What we see here, Jesus, what he appears in the eyes of the Romans is this pathetic, this weak, this bloody, this worthless, this contemptible failed king. That's... Well, we are all by nature, and we all deserve the ridicule and mockery of hell and the the ridicule and disdain of heaven that, as Calvin says, the angel should spit upon us. God should laugh us out at the idea that we would ever be able to appear before him, that we could ever be restored to our office. What What a joke. We deserve the contempt of heaven and earth. But instead of what's happening here, Christ is being robed with our indignity. All the contempt that we in our sin deserve, all the shame that we in our sin deserve, Christ bears. Apparently the psychologists who tell us that that shame is just a construct or just some feeling you have that you need to eradicate is not the case. There there is indeed truly a, a false shame that people need to be set free of. But there's a real shame connected with our guilt. And you can't just push that away. You can try and pretend, but it doesn't make it go away. Sooner or later, we will be ashamed. But Jesus Christ identifies with us in our shame. Takes it to himself. Which is really amazing, isn't it? As you think of your life tonight, what is it that seems most shameful to you? What is it that 
that weighs upon you. Maybe it's the things you've spoken in your marriage, those ugly moments. Maybe it's a failed marriage. Maybe it's failed parenting. Maybe it's, as a single person, the sexual immorality. Maybe it's our laziness at work. Maybe it's a temper that we can't seem to put away. Maybe it's the way we've hurt people in our selfish quest to get our own way. Maybe it's our entertainment, the things that we've looked at. Maybe it's our greediness. What is it that clings to us tonight that makes us ashamed? Because you see, as we look at our sin, every sin, and we hear about forgiveness, maybe we wonder, but what about my shame? Am I ever set free of this? Do I bear this forever? Can I ever stand before God? Can I ever stand before His church? Is there any place for me in God's home? Any place for me in the congregation? And the Spirit is setting before us the reality that our complete failure as kings, to be the husband or wife we ought to be, to be the the workman, the worker we ought to be, to be the parent we ought to be, to be the, the righteous single person we ought to be, to be the man of justice we ought to be, all of our failure as king that deserves the mockery of heaven and hell has been borne by Christ. Took away our guilt and he took away our shame. And so one day soon we'll be clothed in garments of glory and splendor. Revelation 19, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Hallelujah for our Lord God, almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. On Judgment Day, Christ isn't going to bring out the old smelly Roman uniform and dress you up and mock you in your kingly office. He's going to bring forth his bride, the princess, clothed in bright, clean linen. And he's going to delight over her as he bestows upon her glory and honor everlastingly. And our garments of shame will be exchanged for garments of royalty. Isn't that wonderful tonight as we think of how our kingly rule has been mocked? This whole COVID-19 crisis is a mockery of our kingship, isn't it? That we who are made to rule over God's creation are now subject to disease and to misery. And are sent scurrying off to hide in our homes. That we who are to rule over creation now are finding that that the consequences of our sin and sickness and disease are, as it were, ruling over us. But we find Christ bearing it all. He came to bear our diseases. He came to die. There is shame in connection with our guilt. But there's also shame in our lives in connection with other people's guilt, isn't there? There can be shame in our lives due to the fact that someone has sinned against us. And it would probably be quite unlikely tonight that there's no one listening who isn't the victim of someone else's wicked behavior that has brought shame into your life. 
But as we see what's done to Jesus here, his clothes stripped and then dressed up and then stripped again, as we see these men brutally, grotesquely playing with Jesus, we're mindful tonight then, aren't we, that our Savior's been through it. Shame heaped upon him for other sins. And these Romans are not without guilt, though God is using them. Jesus bears the shame of the wickedness other people have perpetrated against him. And we then know we can turn to Christ, the compassionate high priest who also cleans us off from the dirt others have thrown upon us. And that's comforting. That's a savior to turn to. And Christ will deal with wicked men. Ironically, all that the Romans do here is a prophecy of what will happen. Every knee will bow, garrisons will be gathered, all of humanity will be gathered to confess Jesus as Lord and to bend the knee before him. And tonight the world still does laugh, don't they, at the cross of the Lord Jesus. They, they still carry on with this grotesque parody, don't they? People say blasphemous things about Jesus. And they mock this whole idea that he would die on a cross and that would account for anything. But Christ will return in glory. Christ will deal with all of his enemies and ours. Rebellious hearts refuse to embrace this kind of a savior, this kind of a king. They don't want a lowly king, a humiliated king. They want a tall, proud Saul. Because if you have a tall, proud Saul, then you don't have to confess your sin. You don't have to say, I deserve this kind of ridicule. You can say, I have a good name. I'm a good person. I, I'm worthy of honor. I fight for my rights. But to embrace the Christ of Scripture, you have to say, I deserved everything he got. And those who won't humble themselves to acknowledge that in their sin they deserve this kind of disdain then are left to reject Jesus and to fight for their own dignity. And isn't that the thing tonight that so many people are consumed with? Fighting for their own rights, guarding their own name, taking revenge on those who say anything evil against them. They have to clean themselves off. They have to climb ladders of achievement. They have to gain for themselves respect. Because if Christ is not your Savior, then you're left to clean off your own name, take away your own shame. And that's a useless slavery. What a blessing tonight to be able to say, by the grace God has given us, that everything Jesus Christ received was what I deserved. Was what I deserved. And to be able to say tonight, I'm not in need of cleansing my own name and reputation. I'm not in need of, of taking away my own indignity and shame. I couldn't do that. But Christ has done it for me. He stepped into my place. He looked at me, a failed king, a pathetic, defeated, entirely failed king. And he took my spot under the guilt, the wrath, the contempt, the mockery, the place that I deserved. Let us be done with pride. Let us confess what we deserved and what Christ has done for us.
that he suffered the reproach and pains of hell to make us innocent and pure before God, that he bore this mockery of a crown of thorns so that we might obtain the real crown of glory, that he bore this pretend robe of royalty that we might be robed in his righteousness and in a wedding garment, that he obtained for us righteousness, and that Christ suffered this phony scepter so that he might take hold of all authority in heaven and on earth, that on this night he might rule. Even in the midst of this COVID crisis, he might rule for the good of his church. Do you see it? None of those who trust in Christ will be put to shame. So where are you tonight? This year's a humble heart comes to Christ and says, everything that you received, I deserve. Thank you for taking my place. Or are you one who's still trying on your own to hide your shame, to clothe yourself, to gain for yourself glory and honor? Why, when the Son of God has done this for sinners, why, when we're so incapable of saving ourselves, why? Why we delay to run to the Lord Jesus? Let's fall upon him. Let's call upon him. Let's trust in him. And let's give him praise. The king of glory was mocked and ridiculed. The king of glory bearing our shame so that we might be raised up to glory with him forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we do stand amazed. How can we ever comprehend the depths of your love that you, the creator of heaven and earth, would, would bear this for your creature and receive this humiliation from your creature? Oh God, how appalling, yet how amazing, how disgusting, and yet how beautiful. We give praise to our Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And we pray, O oh Lord, that as your spirit works in us and we come to understand more and more how you see our sin and the shame connected to it, may not lead us to despair, but we pray, let your spirit show us the glory and love and accomplishment of Christ and all the shame that bears upon us. And Father, you know tonight for those for whom their shame seems overwhelming, we might be led to run to the Lord Jesus and to be confident that he bore it all. Oh God, we pray, give us faith and give us the glory of Jesus. Glory be to him now and forever. Amen.